Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail. Welcome to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling saying hello to all of our listeners out there for Leighton Kling working behind the scenes. On today's episode, we'll have an interview with Peter Shara of Stratix. He's the senior mobile solutions architect there and Basically, he will be joining the show to discuss point-of-sale systems, mobilization of these point-of-sale systems with increased curbside and contactless pickup and the like, and integration of these mobile systems within retailers' point-of-sale systems. I think you'll find this conversation to be particularly fascinating, especially as it pertains to some of the technology that retailers are using. And yes, there is a difference between iOS and Android, which he will get into. It's kind of interesting. He breaks down the fact that certain store locations or chains or brands will want one, whereas executives might want another. So that's a great conversation that will be taking place later on in the show. We'll also discuss how trick-or-treating might be a little bit different this year and how some retailers are seeking to maybe capitalize on that. And in our news segment, Walgreens releases earnings, but we're going to go beyond the earnings call to talk about some of their recent initiatives, and more importantly, a new app rollout they've got ticketed for November. A reminder, you can like us and rate us however you access us, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Amazon, and their podcast platform, pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts, we are there. You can also check us out on social media at Retail Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram coming up next week. Very excited. Going to take a trip to the Pacific Northwest. I've got some business to attend to up in the Spokane area, but hoping to visit the lone remaining Kmart in Hamilton, Montana. And if the pictures are to be believed, this Kmart actually never got a refresh in the early 90s. It's still got the 80s Kmart logo on there. Hamilton, a town of less than 5,000 people. So one of the more intriguing Kmart locations, but I'll also post a few other pictures from our retail journey to the Pacific Northwest, or really kind of the inland Northwest, if you will. Now, as I mentioned, our news story this week centers around Walgreens. Both Rite Aid and CVS put out, I think, pleasant surprises with front store sales recently, and the question coming into this earnings call for Walgreens is, could they do the same? Now, as a company, Walgreens Boots Alliance posted a slight earnings beat. Earnings per share came in at $1.02 versus Zach's consensus estimates of 96 cents per share. But as we always note, especially in retail pharmacy, earnings performance doesn't tell the whole story on the retail front. With companies like Walgreens and CVS and to a lesser extent Rite Aid, they have more going on than just retail. And in the case of Walgreens, they have significant international holdings as well with Walgreens Boots Alliance. So We're going to pare things down a little bit, look at the U.S. division of Walgreens and specifically the front of the store. So let's dive into those numbers. The fourth quarter earnings call on Tuesday, October 15th, saw an expected across-the-board decline in operating income and earnings per share. So that's right, there was a decline, even though I said they beat analyst expectations, which was true. Expectations were still for a nearly 30% decline in earnings per share. Walgreens said that they saw a $0.46 per share impact, negative impact, that is, due to COVID-19. Now, not all of that was bad news on the retail front. Keep in mind, this is organization-wide, and some of their international locations seem to be affected a little bit more than their U.S. locations. Now, that said, 
Sales did creep up for the second largest pharmacy retailer in the U.S. Overall sales came in at $34.7 billion, or a 2.3% increase over last year's fourth quarter. Now, this includes outside U.S. revenue. Looking at their U.S. retail pharmacy division specifically, fourth quarter sales were actually better than the rest of the enterprise. They were up 3.6% year over year to $27 billion even. Store closures and openings were basically a wash here. As I mentioned, their sales were up 3.6% year over year. Comp store sales ended up up 3.6% over last year's fourth quarter as well. Pharmacy sales continued to increase as a percentage of sales for Walgreens here. 75.6% of their U.S. retail sales coming from pharmacy, where this number, again, within the last five years was below 70%. It was hovering around 68 69% even when we started doing the podcast. So we see just how important pharmacy is, which is a little bit of a worry for retail pharmacies. As we talked about last week with the discussion of Bartell Drugs selling their particular locations in the Pacific Northwest to Rite Aid, a lot of those Medicare reimbursements, a lot of insurance reimbursements have gone down in terms of scripts. Now let's talk briefly about those pharmacy sales because again, we are a retail podcast, not as much a pharmacy podcast. But those pharmacy sales were up on an overall basis 4.2%. On a comp basis, they were up 3.2%. We'll talk about why there's a difference there. Script count was up on a comp basis as well by 3.6%. So again, script count was up higher than the actual cash brought in from those prescriptions, continuing to suggest falling reimbursements, falling drug prices, more generics hitting the market that's negatively impacting the margin for Walgreens. By the way, Home delivery from local Walgreens locations was up for Scripps 71 times versus last year. Now, this was reversed for front store sales, or what they now call retail sales, which might seem a little bit confusing because it's all retail sales, but front store sales were positive overall, again, for Walgreens. That's their third straight quarter. That's in line with what we've seen recently with CVS and Rite Aid. Overall front store sales taken as a whole were up 1.5%, but here's the difference. On the comp basis... This was a 4.7% increase, so same store sales on the front end up 4.7% over a year ago, which is massive sequentially when you look at their 1.9% increase in Q3 and a 0.6% bump in Q2. Basically, their comp front store sales outpaced their pharmacy comp sales, but for the organization as a whole, it was the other way around, and this is due in part to the increased emphasis on pharmacy in the new stores. Also due in part to the struggles that some of the stores they've closed in the last year we're seeing in front store sales. Walgreens mentioned, hey, the stores that we have ticketed to close, they have really been struggling in the front end. That has been impacting margins negatively. That's one of the reasons they were closed. So again, kind of weeding those stores out produces that front store sales increase. Also, the fact that Walgreens.com saw a 39% sales boost, and a lot of this appeared to be in pharmacy as well, not included in those comp sales. Now, as far as the category breakdowns for front store, again, this is the part of Walgreens that we're more interested in in their U.S. division. Walgreens, just like CVS, just like Rite Aid, just like a lot of general merchandise retailers, Costco, for example, a warehouse club retailer, helped by increased sales of personal protective equipment, or PPE. Other categories in which they saw success in front store included health and wellness, which was up 15% year over year. Now, this speaks, I think, to people continuing to seek products 
in this category. Because keep in mind, this quarter took place well after that first wave of pandemic buying we saw during March and April. So even after that initial wave of panic buying where people were buying ibuprofen by the bucket, given how quickly we noted stores ran out in March, I have no idea what some people were doing with 8,000 pills of ibuprofen that is going to take them five years to work through. But even after that died down, health and wellness, general health and wellness, still up 15% for Walgreens year over year. And I think when you look past Walgreens for this, this might mean positive things for not only other drugstore retailers, because we've noticed the same trends at CVS and Rite Aid, but also retailers who have maybe struggled of late. GNC, Vitamin Shop, These companies also stand to benefit as people focus more on their health, not to mention retailers who maybe haven't been struggling, like natural grocers. Natural grocers stocks a vast array of natural and organic health and wellness products. People seem to be making their health a priority during these times, and for good reason. I think people are focusing on their health and wellness, knowing that if they're healthier and they happen to get COVID, their chances of survival are generally better, it seems like. And so because we're seeing these trends, because Walgreens saw sales up 15% year over year, I think that's going to maybe spill over to some other retailers that could really use that bump in that particular segment. Now, other portions of front store sales that were up for Walgreens, personal care products also sold at a higher clip than they did a year ago, up 8%. Grocery was more or less even. That was up 1%. Photo was down 4%. No surprise there. Not only are people using photo services a little bit less, but you think about it, people are taking less vacations, less family portraits. There's all of those things that they're taking less photos of. And and besides, the people that are taking photos are generally uploading them to Instagram and not getting them printed at Walgreens. Now, beauty, I think this is interesting. That was down 3%. Now, this is also somewhat intuitive. We've heard from a lot of people, people are curtailing their spending on this category, on the fashion category as well, which is something that we'll talk about in interviews next week. As people continue to work from home, they avoid going out in public as much. And you think about it, it makes perfect sense. If you're not going out in public as much, you're probably not spending as much on some of those beauty products. However, Walgreens did credit their mass personalization initiative, although honestly, probably more aptly called the mass compartmentalization initiative, as we talked about during our April interview with Nicole Amsler of Formation.ai. But still, this initiative did make sure that the decline wasn't too much in beauty for Walgreens. And it's tough to tell when you step back and take an overall macro view of retail exactly how much the beauty category will be impacted to the short to midterm. People, again, working from home, maybe not as much as they were at the beginning of the pandemic, but retailers like Ulta Beauty, have struggled during the pandemic, but they've also had to deal with store closures. So really the question is, is a 3% decline in this category like Walgreens saw, is that normal? Is that average? Is it above average? Ulta's net sales were down about 30% in the most recent quarter, but stores were being closed for a decent chunk of that. To go a little bit further, Ulta, if we're using them as a comparison, they did say regarding comp sales in August that they were down mid-single digits, So that suggests Walgreens might indeed be in front of the curve when it comes to beauty, considering that this period overlapped with the month of August for Ulta. So maybe an encouraging sign for Walgreens in that particular category and also front end as a whole. Also, just as a quick note, declining tobacco and e-cigarette sales, something we've talked about time 
And again, not only with Walgreens, but other retailers like Sam's Club, for example, that impacted comps negatively by 180 basis points. So could have been an even better quarter if you wash out that decline in sales in those categories. Now, while we mentioned robust pharmacy delivery to home increases from local stores, again, it increased 71 times over last year, local stores fulfilling those deliveries to people in their homes. This effect was seen to a smaller extent in the front of store. Although we say smaller extent, home delivery was still up six times over last year, which is reflective, I think, of the build-out of services and, of course, people's increased usage of these services. Meanwhile, as a percentage basis, and I think this is important to keep in mind because we hear so much about curbside pickup. We hear so much about buy online, pickup in store. In fact, I'm going to give you a little bit of behind-the-scenes look in terms of how the sausage is made. We get week after week, we get quite a few pitches from PR firms and the like to have guests on the show. Over the last two weeks alone, we've had 26 pitches for guests to come on and talk about curbside specifically and how retailers can amp up their tech for curbside. Don't worry, we're not going to have all 26 of those on the show. So curbside is this big, massive topic here. But when you look at Walgreens digitally initiated sales with all of this curbside, with all of this home delivery, they were up just 7% year over year, which is suggestive, I think, of how low the bar was in this category. Again, we're just talking about digitally initiated sales. We're not talking about digital's impact on their overall sales. Home delivery up six times, yet only a 7% year-over-year impact on digital sales. And before you say, well, that's just looking at the home delivery number, overall buy online, pickup in store, or curbside growth for Walgreens, that was 2.7 times higher sequentially versus Q3. And again, we're talking about growth there, not raw sales numbers. So we're seeing this massive growth, and yet still, it's a very, very small chunk of the sales overall that Walgreens is seeing. Now, does that mean that it's always going to be a small chunk? Absolutely not. As people get more used to curbside services, as people get more used to buy online pickup in store for retail pharmacy, you're going to see that obviously take up a bigger chunk of Walgreens. But I think it's not quite as pronounced as people seem to think it is at this point. By the way, in-store shopping as well as delivery shopping was suggestive of other retail trends across grocery general merchandise and drug basket size for Walgreens overall across all channels. That was up high teens. Traffic was down low teens. So exactly what we've been seeing in other areas of retail. Finally, and something I teased at the beginning, looking ahead to the very immediate future, they're plotting a relaunch of their mobile app, My Walgreens. And that's kind of a, a new brand. They want that My Walgreens launch and that brand to be reflective of a change in app branding itself. They hope that'll drive home some of the updates and what they perceive to be enhancements to the platform, although anyone that's ever worked in retail or any type of technology knows when you make enhancements to a technological platform, customers don't always see them as enhancements as people are generally resistant to change. Now, the launch of the redesign is scheduled for next month. It's scheduled for November, and it comes along with an adjustment to their loyalty rewards program. And although there are a lot of new features they discuss, including the ability to access a pharmacist 24-7, they're talking about daily recommendations through the app, although I, I think if they came in the form of push notifications, it might get a little bit old. Personalized offers, 5% back on private label products, the most notable updates, though, come to the online ordering portion of the app. They're looking to streamline it. Who isn't? 
but they're also looking to make all of the local pickup choices clearer and easier to navigate for the customer. So in-store, curbside, and drive-through. Those are the three they really want to drive home. And there's no surprise there because they're attempting to steer customers towards fulfillment channels that are cheaper for everyone, cheaper for the customer, cheaper for the store. They don't include a middleman. So a home delivery service, if you will. Additionally, Walgreens is hoping to promise some orders in certain markets to be ready in as little as 30 minutes. Now, whether this is the case, we shall see. It seems like in our experience, retailers have maybe been over-promising in marketing and under-delivering. No curbside order I've ever placed, at least, has been available in the time stipulated by that retailer in ads or earnings calls. You hear Walmart and Kroger talk about as little as two hours. Most of the time, it's it's two days or, you know, maybe six hours if you get lucky. So 30 minutes, have a hard time believing that that'll be the case, certainly universally for Walgreens. But if they can do it in some of their stores, especially in the bigger metro areas where they've got a footprint, good on them. And it comes down to execution. You can talk about a great new app all you want, but it depends on whether customers will find it great. And we'll likely find this out in their Q2 earnings call. But I think that part ties in quite a bit with our interview with Peter Shar coming up after this break from Stratix, because again, Stratix, a company that's responsible for tethering all this technology together. So one of the subjects we'll talk about when a retailer adopts a new platform, just like tweaking their app, how does that work on the back end for the retailer? And Peter's going to shine some light right after this. We've heard a lot about how retailers are leveraging their brick-and-mortar footprint for fulfillment, dark stores, gray stores, whatever you want to call them. They've been used in the plans of several non-essential retailers and even a few essential ones over the last six months. And while we've talked to interviewees on the podcast about this in the past overall and retailers' plans for these locations in the future, we haven't really discussed the change in infrastructure necessary to accommodate this shift. And here to discuss these changes especially as they pertain to point-of-sale systems, is Peter Shara. He is the Senior Mobile Solutions Architect at Stratix. Peter has over 10 years' experience in the wireless and mobile device management space. Peter, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Hey, Trent. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. First, just so our listeners have a bit of a background here, can you explain what Stratix does on the day-to-day and what your role is there at Stratix? Sure. So Stratix is pretty much the largest pure play enterprise mobility specialist in the U.S. They've been in business for almost four decades now. We've deployed and supported over three million devices to date with some of the world's most iconic brands. We you know, really focus on helping businesses accelerate, inspire mobile transformations. Over those decades, we've seen almost every kind of use case or transformative use cases as even now with what we're experiencing. The company's based out of Peachtree Corners, Georgia. They focus on all verticals and all markets, you know, including retail, QSR, and grocery. It's really an end-to-end solutions company around mobile requirements that customers have. We'll start off everything with consulting on the engagement, really architecting a solution, figuring out what's going to make a successful project for the customer, what's their goals and objectives, Then we get down into, you know, device selections, pilots, proof of concepts, and then ultimately deployments of the selected technologies out to their locations, and then taking on day two support, everything from 
the user having issues contacting our help desk to sending out a replacement device through our LCM program, Lifecycle Management. We do it all 24-7, 365 for our customers. And it's everything from, you know, the devices at the back of the house, device warehouse, device out in the field, out in front of customers. What Stratix recently kicked off was actually a podcast called Digital Insights Outlook. You know, with all the changes, especially now going on, it's really a great way for us to connect with the industry leaders. They can tune in and learn how organizations are using technology to really help in this age of the social distancing and the contactless transactions. And, you know, how we've worked with customers on the disaffection processes and solutions there. To listen to that podcast and sign up, stratixcorp.com slash D-I-O is the best place where you can get all that stuff streamed to you. I've been with Stratix particularly for eight years and mobile solutions architect. And I have what I think is the best job because I get to really interface with the clients from the very beginning. And then I architect, I set up, configure, deploy the solution that goes out. And I work to transition that so that the customer is successful for day two after the deployments. So you hit on that and I wanted to go ahead. We'll, we'll talk about the point of sale aspect of it here in a moment. But as you mentioned, you interface with the customer, which could be a retailer, could be you know, obviously a lot of different verticals that Stratix serves. What is that dialogue like when you begin to interface with a retailer as far as evaluating what's appropriate and what might fit with their existing infrastructure as far as the solution that you're connecting them with? Yeah. So, you know, we've seen, especially with the rise of COVID, some of the social distance requirements that are existing and even new customers are coming to us. I'm going to say in many cases, they look to reshape what they've actually already implemented. And in some cases, accelerate into areas that they've never actually gone into before. So we still do find customers that have never implemented things like curbside or, you know, BOPIS, buy online and pick up in the store solutions. And, you know, what we do is we really just sit down to understand what those requirements are with them and lay out all the technologies and the solutions that would be required to fit in their environment probably talk a little bit later on about how, how we do some of those things, but we're just finding that they need solutions in their hands. The associates need those solutions in their hands to really give them almost instant access to the inventory, being able to look up products, process, you know, orders, do it in a safe and secure way for the consumers of today. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Let's say a retailer comes to you and maybe they've got buy online pickup in store, but maybe they're not set up for curbside. Maybe it's a situation where the current setup has the customer coming into the store to be able to pick up that order that's already been fulfilled. What are some things that you've seen retailers kind of outfit or be outfitted with to implement not only curbside, but also kind of smoothing out that buy online pickup in store experience for customers over the last six months? Yeah, there are a lot of connecting points that involve the right device, the right technology used as far as scan units. It can also be the right software implemented. So while Stratix isn't a software shop, we have a lot of partners in that space. And what we've seen historically is sometimes really some of those dots are missing that they need help with 
to get over the hurdle of having a successful solution by making sure that all the different points are covered. We outline with them all of the various technologies, and it could be scanning technologies, printing technologies, and you know, it could be kitting with various accessories that need to really get all put together to make a successful solution for them. All that being said, I was wondering if you could discuss maybe a few use cases as far as retail companies that you've worked with and how they've managed to mobilize their point of sale systems beyond what was perhaps required of them pre-pandemic in terms of, you know, we don't need to go into specifics as far as company names or anything like that, but just in terms of specifically what they've been able to implement to make sure that they're meeting customers where the customers want to be at in this case. Yeah. One of my big clients that I've been working with for the last six years is in the grocery space. They have over 2,000 locations. They've got many brand names that you're familiar with from a grocery perspective. For them, we started off with them as being their help desk. They had BYOD users, they had corporate users, and then it evolved probably five or so years ago to implementing iOS and Android technology eventually within their distribution centers and within their stores. That evolved to kiosks within deli departments. And then what's really kicked in for them over the last six to eight months has been curbside. So we had to very quickly work with them on integrating, implementing, architecting, setting up and deploying the right kind of solution so folks could place the order online and then pick up their groceries at the stores. Some of the brands wanted to go with iOS technology. Some of the other brands wanted to go with Android. So we deployed both of those products with similar solutions from a a scanning, printing, and how the distribution actually took place for them. So that that was, you know, the grocery success story that I've been working on. And we today support, you know, 50 to 100,000 devices for that grocer. And again, it's in all the various use cases. The other one is retail. It's a company we've been dealing with 2,400 locations in North America. They've got five very distinct large brands. They implement the technology in their retail stores to do a couple things. If products weren't in the store, they wanted to not lose the sale. So they basically wanted to do a lookup of inventory and then ship the products to the customer's home. And the other thing was around line busting. So they had the requirement that they didn't want to have lines in front of a register. So they wanted to have the associates with the appropriate technology to scan product, to take a payment, and to print off receipts if the customer needed it, and make that experience, you know, really what they, you know, needed for their customers of today. That has morphed a little bit for that customer because their retail business and their stores were closed for a number of months. And they had to really look at the use cases that they've got deployed today. And we worked with them to modify those things so that they could shift more towards, you know, the buy online pickup in the store at the store and pick up their products or have their products ship. But typically the in-store operations was closed for a number of months and it's only just begun recently reopening. So you mentioned a couple of interesting things in that answer, and we'll get to one of them, iOS versus Android, here in just a bit. But first, I wanted to ask you, you know, the retailer that you were 
discussing in terms of line busting, in terms of getting rid of those lines. We've seen some versions of that technology out for a while. I remember Kmart 20 years ago had a similar type of technology that just wasn't often used. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen in terms of some of those mobile scanning, mobile payment processing technologies at the front end for retailers? Yeah, so it's a couple things. Ease of use. If an associate is bogged down where using the technology in their hand is more time consuming or complex than going to a register, it's never going to succeed. So we've been involved with some projects where they did not implement a good solution for the associate. It wasn't quick and easy, if you will. Scanning took too long, let's say. You know, if they had too many screens, too many fields, too many things that they had to fill in on a smaller device, whether it was a phone form factor or a tablet, if the experience for the associate wasn't good, it never got adopted. And they would always go back to their old methods for processing transactions, which was really not what you wanted to have happen. So it's interesting. Again, it comes down to a matter of maybe employee training, but also making something that's more convenient for everyone involved and not less convenient than the old system was. I wanted to yeah. go back to the iOS versus Android question as well, because you're talking about you know a retailer with a bunch of different banners and the banners even have differing opinions on which they should use. What's the difference in terms of solutions, if you will, in terms of outfitting a retailer for one or the other? And what are some things on the back end that you have to kind of keep in mind as you do that? Yeah. So there's a couple things. As crazy as it sounds, applications do drive a lot. While senior executives in firms might have a preference of one platform over another because of their own personal experience, as it gets further down in the weeds within the company, you know, the development aspects of if it is in-house developed applications, what we've seen now is most developers today can develop in both platforms pretty easily as their coding solutions. I would say it comes down to a lot of what folks are comfortable with. So, you know, while they may feel that their associates, maybe more of them are used to the Apple ecosystem and the Apple interface, we are seeing that a lot of customers have started to also adopt Android technology and really just the way it's configured and how it's set up on the device. You don't need to have all the applications, icons and settings and confusing things there for users that aren't familiar with a platform. We can streamline all of that and make it easy for the associate. Regardless of platform, it also comes down to price and how they want to structure things there. The other thing is, if the company is already taking point-of-sale orders with different kind of terminals and back-end infrastructures, they may have requirements for one credit card processing terminal like Verifone. They might have it for Ingenico and others. So we typically take their lead from what the platforms of choice, you know, Stratix is, you know, kind of the old adage for Switzerland, where software and hardware agnostic, we allow and work with customers if they've already got solutions in place, we'll evolve them. If they have none, we'll consult with them on setting up new ones and configuring new ones. We sometimes do bake-offs, if you will. So we might go into a brand and test out iOS and test out Android and then come back to a final decision by the business which direction they want to go. 
I like that concept because in that case, it's not one size fits all. And hey, oh, you have to use Verifone and you've got to use X, Y, and Z if you use us to string together your technology there. On that note, what are some maybe challenges that you face? Because I'm sure retailers have a number of different systems that they're working with, a number of different things with the back end in terms of being able to mobilize all of that technology and work with all of those different providers. Yeah, it does become a little bit of a challenge because they are all a little bit different. While the use cases, I'd say in many of the verticals, we see them across verticals. What we do find is that individual customers do have their own preference for a mobile device management platform, a point of sale infrastructure management platform, everything from the imaging system that we're going to leverage. And historically, if they have had experience with some of them, and if they would like to stay on them, Stratix basically adopts it and integrates it all and makes it all work in a solution. As a mobile solutions architect, I'm one of the first people that they interface with to create this thing called a manifest, the first article manifest. And that's really, it's a high level blueprint of what this thing is going to look like from a device and from a backend perspective. And what is the associate or the end user going to see on the device when they open it up out of the box for the first time? Then I take it from that and I actually do all the integration work. I do all the setting up and configuring of the systems and I turn it into something called the first article, which we ship out. Ultimately, we ship out the first box to the customer. They get it, they open it, they experience it just like the associate would. And then if there's feedback and suggestions and changes, we make them. Otherwise, it's locked and loaded to do the deployments. And again, you know, the deployment of the technologies really, I think, some of the easiest things to get done. It's really around the day two support where Stratix is the best in providing things like help desk support, RMA replacements on the same day if a device is defective in the field, you know, a platform for analytics and reporting on where a device is and where it is in the entire, is it at Stratix? Is it out in the field? What store is it in? Is it paired with a point of sale device? Which point of sale device is it paired with so that you can really see chain of custody, et cetera, in our analytics tools? So we've talked about it a few times during the course of this interview, but you know, you're right there on the ground floor working directly with these retailers with these companies that are partnering with Stratix. From your perspective, because you work with these systems on a day-in, day-out basis, what's kind of the next frontier as far as mobilizing point-of-sale technology within a retailer? For sure, this, whether it's the new normal that we're going through now, has seen a shift and a change to, you know, the buy online, pick up in the store and curbside. We are seeing many of the retailers coming to us looking to eventually as they're beginning to open safety, security, disinfectant products and processes and solutions are all really important. The ease of use for the associates since they're in front of the customers first and they are ultimately the ones that the customer has to feel comfortable with in processing transactions and how the whole experience works. So I would say we're starting to see new use cases potentially come up. I'd say 
you know, something like a kiosk type solution that we might have seen in stores is starting to move further out to the front of the stores. We're being asked to work on those things. You know, everything is a kit and every customer is a little bit different, but we've seen all of these. We've experienced them in, like I said, the different verticals, QSR, retail, grocery, et cetera. So we pretty much have a good handle if they come to us with a specific business requirement and what they're trying to achieve to come up with an overall solution that we can recommend to them that's going to be successful. Fascinating stuff and fantastic insight. Once again, Peter Shara, the Senior Mobile Solutions Architect at Stratix. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks a lot, Trent. Have a great day. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. Well, once again, we thank Peter for joining us here on the podcast. You can check out Stratix online at stratixcorp.com. Right there on the homepage, you've got a link to their podcast that he mentioned. It's not a retail-specific podcast, but if you're interested in some digital insights, then that podcast is for you. You can also check out their retail services and kind of what they do. It's interesting reading, if nothing else, and certainly they've got some press releases and some blog notes on their website as well. Now, our looking ahead for this week is towards Halloween, and we've been looking ahead towards Halloween quite a bit insofar as talking about merchandise mix for retailers. Well, we're a little bit deep into the season to be necessarily looking ahead at whether retailers made the right call or not. At this point in time, that's pretty much determined. But one thing I am looking forward to is the closer we get to the 31st, we know that maybe candy sales for the point of trick-or-treating, for the purpose of trick-or-treating, might be going down. But something that certain retailers are doing, and this has apparently been a thing in certain neighborhoods, not necessarily the neighborhood I live in, but something called a boo bag. And so there are certain retailers out there, CVS, Target, Meyer among them, but there are other retailers as well that are offering these boo bags in stores to allow customers, basically what you do is you take these boo bags and the idea is that either you set them out by the curb and just let people take them as they go, which, you know, that's that's somewhat questionable, or you can leave them at others' houses. Now, there are retailers across the board that are providing incentives or incentivizing these boo bags for their customers. For example, CVS, if you purchase something at the pharmacy, it's going to make these bags available for free. Target also doing a similar thing. It's giving away starter kits for boo bags to those who buy online, pick up in store. So that's a kind of interesting way to incentivize that platform. And what's interesting is depending on who you listen to. Now, the CDC still says this is a moderate risk activity, although a lot of infectious disease experts are saying, hey, this is transmitted. It's a respiratory virus. COVID-19 is so we don't know whether or not the recommendation by the CDC to wash your hands and wash down the candy and, and whatever's in the boo bag is valid. But still, the reason I'm looking ahead to it is, is this something that maybe picks up steam, not just for this year, but for future years? Is this something that retailers consistently use for customers as a carrot to drive them to certain services like buy online, pick up in store, or just drive them into the store? And how much of an impact, if any impact at all, 
will this have on the likes of CVS, Target, and Meyer? Now, for the first two, it's going to be easy enough to tell because those are publicly traded companies. For Meyer, we might have a harder time learning that because they're private and notoriously fairly secretive about their financials. But still, this is just another facet of Halloween that's kind of changing for retailers. And you wonder if really driving home this concept will also drive home ancillary sales. If people will pick up these boo bags at CVS, for example, and decide, hey, we're going to pick up the candy here as well to fill those boo bags. So just kind of an interesting story that we're looking ahead to. Now, as far as the podcast is concerned, it is a enormous week for the podcast, I think, in terms of who will have join us coming up on Wednesday. We'll be joined by the venerable Rod Sides with Deloitte. He will be discussing their annual holiday consumer survey. That's going to be released on the 20th. We'll have him on the show on the 21st. So the day after that comes out, Rod will be joining us to talk about the more interesting findings in that consumer survey. Keep in mind, Deloitte already kind of issued their holiday sales expectations we talked about on the show about a month ago. And then next weekend, we'll be joined by Megan Martindale. She is, again, the head of global retail research for CBRE, a fantastic resource. We've had her on the show before, but she's going to talk about not only the recent impacts with real estate that we've seen as it pertains to retail, but also CBRE putting out their holiday shopping report and their holiday trends report. A lot of great stuff in there. They have actually already released that on their website, so you can go check it out. But Megan's going to go in-depth on that with us next Sunday's podcast. So a big week coming up for the Retail Focus, a reminder that you can subscribe however you access us and make sure that those podcasts get pushed right into your podcatchers. So that'll do it for us for this week. A big thanks once again to Peter Shara and Stratix for joining us, and we'll see you this coming Wednesday. This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.